Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Glorious afternoon, a hot afternoon here at the Oval, but I suppose muted for us Englishmen by the fact that Australia are the World Test Champions. A fairly emphatic, very emphatic victory, 209 run victory, just finishing on the stroke of lunch here at the Oval on the Sunday, the fifth day. India never really threatened as soon as Kohli was out and then in fact Jadeja out in the same over to Scott Boland who for me was the best bowler on show for Australia. But ominous signs for England, Simon. There is Josh Hazelwood running into bowl on a practice wicket at the Oval and looking rather ferocious, actually. I watched him practice this morning in the nets. Of course, he didn't play in this World Test Championship final. Australia looking after him in prospect for the Ashes, which obviously is five Test matches in six weeks. But he looks, he looks pretty fit. You can hear the, um, the sounds of de-rigging, by the way, going on behind this which always happens. Actually, I have to get used to this, recording or writing when things are sort of falling apart and being de-wired and everything uh, for all the TV and radio commentary and coverage and stuff. So sorry if there's a bit of noise here. But anyway, ominous signs for England with Hazelwood charging into bowl on a practice pitch and getting the ball to fly through. So another part of the Australian jigsaw coming together, perhaps. Well, well you think so, yeah. I mean, suppose it depends how he comes through it, doesn't he? Bowl for an hour this morning, and I think the feeling is, Justin Langer was saying on air on, on Test Match Special, that the feeling is, you know, if, he, if he's OK by Thursday, Friday, that, you know, they're going to play him, which, which actually seems quite a big call, but they'll know, they'll, they'll have done all the, 
you know, the testing and all that sort of thing. I thought you were going to say a bit muted for us as Englishmen because the sun's shining and there's no cricket and the game is over early and you know we get. I mean, it's, it's the hottest day of the year, just about, and there's no cricket out there. I thought that's the reason. We've got to give an immense amount of congratulations to Australia because they were they were ruthless and efficient, mm. especially on that first day. That was when they won the game, wasn't it? That that first day partnership. Raul Dravid in his post-match interview saying that as well. He said you cannot let a team score 469 on that pitch. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's the only reason that they won, but I think it was obviously an important reason. 469 in the first innings, having been put into bat, of course, which puts the, uh, the immediately puts the bowlers under pressure well, having was to perform. Partnership, was that it partnership? was that partnership between Head and Smith, of course, that, that took the game away from the Indians. But I, I feel that also India should have done better in their first innings as well. There were three drop catches by Australia in India's first innings, and they still only got 290. Uh, several batsmen, I think five batsmen in the match for India got 40s. So no one was able to kick on and make that really influential, significant score. And as a country who pride themselves on, on batting a long time, uh, 89 for Rahani was their best score in the game. Whereas, obviously, Australia had two century makers in the first innings and, and lots of contributions in the second innings. So, it was, you know, yeah, I suppose, I, I agree with Raul Dravid in one sense, 469, it's hard to come back from that. I didn't think the pitch was that difficult, though, uh, when India batted, but they just didn't bat very well. It's amazing, we're looking at the surface now, the ground staff are working on it. How different does that pitch look from the first day? I mean, that, that was one of the keys, wasn't it? I mean, remember, India won the toss, under grey skies, it was cold, remember, and it was a pretty green pitch, and, it, and both sides were the, put the opposition in, and they, they picked up a couple of early wickets, but they didn't really make the most of it. I, I don't think it was the wrong decision to mm. field first, in a way, because there was enough there. It was swinging around, it was seaming around, the odd bit of uneven bounce with the new ball. If they'd got Australia, say, four down for, I don't know, 70 or 80, they could have bowled them out for 250. And actually, it wasn't spinning massively by the end. You know, we were watching Nathan Lyon on the fifth day. He got one to turn from the main part of the pitch. But actually, the pitch was still playing OK on the fifth day. I reckon you could have chased... Well, what did Australia... What didn't you get? They got 230 in the 234, end. 234, yeah. Yeah, I, I reckon you could have chased 280 on the last day if you played well. But again, India, sort of one or two soft dismissals. If you saw a pitch like that in India, you wouldn't be surprised, would you? I mean, that's, it's amazing how the pitches in England change. That's how they start. That's yeah, how they well, start. Well, exactly. That, and, that, and that's the point, I think, sometimes when there's talk about pitches in England, and there probably will be from some India supporters saying, well, you know, you, you play this World Test Championship final in England, it's not fair. You know, those conditions are a bit, they favour Australia perhaps a bit more than they favour India. You know, why can't we play the World Test Championship final in subcontinental mm. uh, conditions? A few have said, you know, the team that finishes top of the table should be able to play at home well actually in this case that would have meant Australia because they finished top of the table even mm. though India going into the match were world are number one but the, the point about the pitches in England is that if they start green they can change colour they can flatten out they can spin later on in the game as it did for Nathan Lyon you know, there, there is that variation but often I suppose in India the pitches start like this and they don't really get get better they just get drier and, and, and harder and those fourth fifth day pitches can be quite difficult to bat on and of late we've seen pitches in India 
where the ball spins right from the start and goes through the top. We've seen a couple of test matches with the ball's going through the top. So that's the one thing I would say about the difference. You know, people often criticising the English pitches are too green, but they, you know, they they can they can dry out. Yeah, and they can improve. And, and seam wasn't the dominant force. It was more accuracy, a little bit of uneven bounce, inducing batting mistakes rather than a green pitch helping seam bowlers. In fact. The leading bowler for Australia in the game was Nathan Lyon, wasn't he? He took five wickets overall. Scott Boland also took, I think, five, is that right? Yes, he did. And yeah. I, I, I'd like to pick him out as a, a, a bowler who has sort of been under the radar until the last couple of years. In fact, I think Nasser Hussain in the post-match interviews said to him, where have you been? Yeah. Where have you been all this time? And he said, well, I've been playing for, Australia, uh, for Victoria for, 30, yeah. for since I was... Uh, 20 or so for 12 years I've been playing state cricket for 12 years and suddenly uh, get a chance to play for Australia but what he does is so simple I had a chat to him this morning actually before play started because I thought he's going to be a key bowler today on a fifth pitch which just had a little bit of variable bounce and I said what's your plan here and he said well I'm going to bowl the same ball you know time after time which obviously is a, is a major asset to be able to do but he said I'm just going to vary my grip very slightly so some subtle changes of grip, some with the seam pointing at, say, 2 o'clock, some with the seam pointing at 12 o'clock, and some at 11 o'clock. So sort of just a little bit of variation of, of the seam position, which means the ball comes down, wobbles down, sometimes comes down, seam up. It sometimes will hit the seam, sometimes will miss the seam. And he just kept plucking away on that ideal length with quite a good bit of bounce and, and, and zip, 86 miles an hour is roughly his speed. He's a strong guy that you know, hits the bat hard. But it was that consistency and that just little bit of subtle variation and actually the lovely way that he got Coley out. He bowled him a ball which was a sort of wobble seam delivery which bounced a bit and went through the keeper, left alone. He bowled another one which sort of nipped back a little bit and uh, that was a straight up seam delivery and Coley left, a good line. And then he dangled one a little bit fuller and a little bit wider. Coley, who'd been a, a bit becalmed on 49, seeking his 50, goes for the rash drive. Unbelievable catch by Steve Smith, a second slip. The second time in the game that Smith has pulled off a brilliant catch to get rid of Coley. And I think there's just a little extra bit of frisson there in that moment because you know what happened a couple of days ago? I was standing out in the middle and um, chatting to Steve Smith and Coley comes up to him right and says to him in a nice way rubbish shot rubbish shot which was uh, talking about Steve Smith's second innings dismissal when he ran up the wickets and danger and had a big hack basically and top edged it caught a cover not a great shot which Smith himself agreed he was being a bit greedy and Coley has sort of said to him rubbish shot slightly taking the piss but who would have been more uh, any more delighted than Smith himself to grab Coley from a slightly loose drive so I'm sure there's going to be a bit of back chat in the dressing room tonight or when the players have a drink tonight to uh, look back at the game a little bit of one-upmanship from Steve Smith there to get Coley twice with two blinding catches yeah open, open the door didn't it that, that was it the Coley wicket was felt like such a, a big wicket this morning here's something Oz if you're going to come back in another life uh, as a a bowler, would you choose someone like Scott Bowden? Would you have been able? To, would you love to have bowled like him? Are you were, I mean, yeah. you had that. Or, no or would you? Or would you want to come back as Malcolm Marshall? God or no! Did, I mean, have you met or Angus Joel Fraser? Gunn. Have you met Angus Fraser? <laughs> Angus Fraser, love him 
as I do, is one of the most dry, laconic, I do, sort of I do boring Gus, people yeah. I know. I mean, I look, at he's not yeah. boring, really. But he's sort of got a, a boring outlook on bowling. And I, it's got to make it fun. It's not all about wicket-taking, in my view. It's about having a bit of fun and trying so things. Would, I would have been useless as a... Well, that's why I wasn't an Angus Fraser or a Scott Boland, because I wanted to try things all the time. And you, you have to have a certain mindset to be that kind of bowler. Oh, yeah. Good luck to them. You know, they are very good at what they do and they stick at it. And they, they deserve their success. But it comes at a cost of just a lack of real fun I would say I think they're both quite well certainly Gus is sort of someone who his his glass is always half empty <laughs> in the nicest possible way I love Gus to bits well, what, what, how does Scott Boland seem to you then well he sounds like a bloke with glasses half empty as well but he's like oh, I've got to get out there again but in a positive sense uh, he knows that he's very good at what he does and he's happy being paid to do it and he's doing it bloody well Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, Josh Hazel would have stopped bowling mm. in the middle. He's, he's, he's been out there. He's just knocked over two Englishmen and he's <laughs> having a spell now on the boundary. So he's had a, he's had a bit of a break there from bowling uh, in the middle. What do Australia do with their attack then at Edgbaston on Friday? Mm. Uh, bec- bec- does Hazelwood automatically come in or do they say, wait, wait a bit longer, we need you just to you know, go a bit further, prove your match fitness? I'm Justin Langer was sort of suggesting that they're minded to play Josh Hazelwood if they think he is fit. Mm. And I mean, surely they're not going to leave Scott Boland out, are they? I mean, England, would, would you think England would love them to leave Scott Boland out? Yes, I, I probably do, actually. So, they, so who do they leave out yeah, then? If they play Hazelwood, do they, play, they leave out Mitchell Stark? It's, a, who, very, it's who, a very good question. I mean, but Mitchell Stark was their weak link, but he is their diff, point of difference yeah. because he comes from left arm over, he can also bowl left arm round and he creates that potential rough for Nathan Lyon the other end as well. So he's an, or, a, a, or for Moen Alley, <laughs> depending yes. on who bats first. Yes, I see Alistair Cook in the Times yeah. today was saying that uh, he thought they should have gone for Liam Dawson instead of Moen Alley. That's uh, an interesting view. Anyway, um, it's a difficult one actually. It's lovely to have that uh, difficult decision, isn't it, that Australia would have to make. I just feel I might want Hazelwood to do a bit more bowling before he, he, he plays and Boland has done so well you can't leave him out now can he? he's got Coley out in the, in the, in the crucial um, innings and, and taken you know some key wickets in the game so I wouldn't be leaving Boland out obviously Cummins has to play Lyon has to play it's between Stark and Hazelwood yeah 
Yeah, Boland has done in this test match what we basically expected him to do in England, didn't we? He's bowled at decent pace, he's bowled in the channel, and he's got people out, as we'd expected he probably would do it in English conditions. He's taken five wickets in the match. He's been impressive. He's taken five wickets at, at 20. Got Coley out today, got two in an over today. Got Coley and Jadeja out in the same over. Yep. It's amazing how quiet the crowd, well, it's not that amazing actually, how quiet the crowd went after that. You can almost hear a pin drop. One of the, the, probably, almost, I think, the biggest crowd of the match here uh, today. Uh, and pe people were extremely disappointed at what they they saw. So here's something then, Yoz. You know, we've come to the end of the two World Test Championship finals now. Both of them have been played in England. So we had the New Zealand match down against India in Southampton. And that was, there were peculiar circumstances around the, the, the game being played in Southampton because it was COVID and they had a hotel on the ground and, and there were a few spectators allowed in, but not that many. And New Zealand won, India defeated. Come to this game, uh, Australia and India, two best test teams in the world over the course of the two years. Australia win comprehensively. Is there, do you think, an argument for A, playing more than a one-off final, or and B, playing it in another part of the world? Well, I think playing more than a one-off final is going to be difficult to schedule. And, it, you know, it's going to mean you need at least a month, really, isn't it? If you're having a three-way, yeah. best of three games. And that's just hard to, to fit into the schedules and all that. I think that as far as playing it in another country, yes, good idea. Where, I mean, you, you've got the choice between Australia, who obviously stage fantastic test cricket and have great stadiums, or India. You, you feel like both of those places are quite favourable to the home side, if the home side qualifies for that final. I, I like the idea of South Africa, actually, but, but the test then you crowds, don't get crowds. Well, that's the problem. The test crowds are not great there, are they, really? I mean, yeah. people, some people would travel, wouldn't they? I mean, again, it depends who's in the final. How about West Indies? Well, they, well, they don't. And the ICC do a sort of rent a crowd, and we can all, <laughs> we can all go on the cheap to have well, a holiday in the Caribbean. So you see the problem, though, don't you? Yeah. Is that there are quite a few test match venues where there aren't that many spectators naturally at hand. I mean, one, one thing that would happen, you know, there would have been lots of neutral people come along to this game. Uh, obviously, great India support. There were some Australians who, who turned up for the game. It's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? You can see why the, the logic is to hold it in England. Of course, there's another reason why it's logical to hold it in England as well. I'm not saying that because it's, you know, it's great for us to have it here. It's because at the end of the cycle, it sort of finishes around about sort of April time, and there aren't that many places in the world that you can play mm. at in, this time of year. You know, you know, because the next iteration of the World Test Championship starts next next week when mm. the Ashes start, and then mm. India are going to the West Indies to play so in July. So it's going to be June. So it's got to, you know, two years time. I mean, yeah. I wonder if that Lords was supposed to stage this game actually, but in the end, the Oval came in for it because Lords had the two Test matches already this summer so yeah it, it, it's a tricky one isn't it I, I mean I I love Mumbai as a venue yeah um, that would be brilliant but you, what you don't want is if India get into the final that they doctor the wicket or whatever but in fact they wouldn't probably do that because ICC would take control of pitch and ground preparation but here's another reason why England is the best in a way and that is because we've got such a multicultural population yeah. so whoever gets into the final we can guarantee some decent support whereas if India say get the final and the final is between dare I say it Pakistan and Sri Lanka or Pakistan and West Indies would they get much of a crowd well I think I think Pakistan would yeah I yeah, think the Pakistan, Pakistan fans would. would come here definitely yeah. no not here not here but if if I'm saying if the final was in India oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would, would would let's say the final is between West Indies and 
um, and South Africa. Yeah. Would they get much of a crowd in in India? No. No. So that's a, that. That is a kind of another consideration. Yeah, and, and what will be interesting as well. And I've been to India for World Cups. Is, I mean, it's a fantastic atmosphere when India are playing. You know, yeah. the, cra- the crowds are just heaving, a massive yeah. crowds. But for the neutral games, of which there will be very many, the crowds are not so good. And you, you know, you, you end up playing in front of crowd, you know, very small crowds, and you're rattling around in the stadium. And the, you know, there is a bit of away support. Teams, uh, you know, spectators will travel, but not a huge amount. There is that. Yeah. A real, real passionate, committed supporter in India, but not necessarily for the, the neutral game. So I mean, I'm sure you get a great crowd if India were playing England or India were playing Australia or India playing whoever actually in the World Test Championship final in India. But if it were, if it wasn't India, then yeah, would, would the crowds be what, so what's good? What's your thought then? Well, I, 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 I think the reason it's being held here is a pragmatic one. Mm. You know, it, it works. You make the point there are spectators on hand, especially if India, Pakistan, England make the final I, I, I like a one-off I really do I think you know, it's on, it becomes on the day too, there's too much cricket that is where you get another chance you know those tedious one day series tedious T20 series or, you, know, you could even argue you know, the, the leagues you know, there's always another chance isn't there you, know, you can lose half a dozen games but still qualify and yeah. I, I really love the fact that it's one-off it's all on the, yeah. on the five days and yeah. I really enjoyed that you know, they've, been, they've been going out at hammer and tongs these two teams the problem for India was that Australia dominated the first day and the, and, the, and the die was really cast and the other problem for India was they were missing two very important players yeah. we've mentioned Jasprit Bumrah already uh, the fact that they didn't have him to lead their attack but also I'll tell you another person they missed that's Rishabh Pant yeah, yeah. and if you think back to say that amazing run chase uh, India against Australia in Brisbane a couple of years ago which won the series for India Rishabh Pant played a massive role in that and they really miss him I think having Jadeja coming in at six a highly accomplished cricketer though he is Jadeja was way too high at number six and I sort of feel with this India side as well that if you get seven wickets, you've pretty much got ten because the last three aren't great. You know, Umesh Yadav coming in at number nine, he's, he shows the bowler all his stumps. It takes him three balls to, before he has a slog. And actually, I don't think he's that good a bowler either. I mean, to, to play Umesh Yadav as your third seamer in a World Test Championship final, I think shows you, you, you've got a weakness there. Yeah. Because he's, 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 he's got 160 odd Test wickets, which is obviously decent. But he's got them at the average of 30, and he just bowled one bad ball and over, and always has done. Right, Yours, we've had the World Test Championship final. It's, it's Sunday. It's aperitif, to, isn't it? Well, not, I mean, for Australia, it must be on for Australia, actually, because you know, this is a big game for them, isn't it? And they, you know, they, they, they have become the first team ever to win all the ICC They've won events. nine ICC yeah. trophies now yeah. in Australia. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. For a country, as Ravi Shastri said on commentary, actually. I'm known for, in fact, it was Matthew Hayden who said it on commentary. Uh, 26 million plays 1.4 billion. Yeah. It's quite a good effort. Yeah, but you can only play 11 against 11, though, yeah, can't true. you? <laughs> uh, right. So it's Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. Uh, something. That, that, what, what was it? Who said? Uh, yeah, Steve Smith said in his interviews afterwards. Said to Henry Moran on BBC, he said. Uh, well, you know, we'll celebrate this. He said, we can't celebrate too much because there is a game not too far away. Okay, and what he's referring to, of course, is the first match of the hugely anticipated, tantalising Ashes series. Possibly the, the I, I don't know, the most um, antis- eagerly anticipated Ashes series since, since, since the last one. Well, since the last <laughs> one. We were talk- we were, I was talking about this, you know, they're all eagerly anticipated, yeah. aren't they? But I think there's an f- extra frisson about this one 
because of the sort of clashes of cultures and styles of the two teams and it, it does feel a little bit similar to 2005 which is not to say that it's going to work out like 2005 but you know that, that un- incredible Australian team against a sort of upstart England team in 2005 who we were winning well and playing you know entertaining cricket and they had that and it, it, it seems irrelevant in a way but that T20 match down in Southampton where England wiped the floor with Australia no one had really done that in any form of uh, cricket anyway so you've got that almost got that same clash of cultures uh, coming up so I think for that reason it is perhaps more eagerly anticipated this one we don't it, and it's, it feels also more unpredictable mm. than, than any other previous yeah, Ashes I, series I, I, I think you're right to say it, it's eagerly anticipated as much as 2005 the only difference is it's the Australians in 2005 who were brilliant but just over the hill in one or two cases and they were exposed. Were they that much over the well, hill though? Because they, they, came, back they came back and whacked England 5-0 five five yeah, the next time. I suppose. But I mean the likes of Jason Gillespie, yeah. you know, they're sort of Well they had a vulnerability string. there, They had they? a vulnerability. Yeah. And uh, obviously their greats, their champions were just a little bit past their sort of peak if you like. This time it's England whose champions perhaps in the case of Anderson and Broad anyway, are not past their peak, but they're not at their peak no. anyway. And uh, then, you know, they're not in the first flush of youth and all that. Whereas our England team of 2005 were peaking. You know, Flintoff, Harmison, um, Jones. Simon Jones, you know, really potent, very good opening partnership, established opening partnership of Truscothic and Strauss with the Vaughan at three. Peterson, of course, a, a bit of a kind of X factor who came in at number four. So, you know, they had a really good core of exciting players who were all around about r- arriving at their peak at the same time. England now, not sure they do. You know, I don't think they are quite at that level. Whereas Australia, Australia look dangerous. They look like a team that are on a mission. And th- that's why when we do our preview of the Ashes series, I think we're going to probably say Australia are favourites. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, we've, we've talked about this a little bit already. I've said to you, you know, d- during the year, I've sort of gone from, I've swung from, I'm like, do you know, I, what, could England win this Ashes series 4 0? I mean, that's an incredible thing to say as we sit here with Australia World Test champions and then I suddenly th- other days I think you know Australia could win this 4-0 this could be like 1989 all over again so we've, we've been asked to do our predictions uh, for the BBC Sport uh, website and I've thought long and hard about it I feel it's a really unpredictable series because of those you're not sitting on the well, fence no I'm not going to sit on the fence I'm, I'm not going to sit on the fence I'm going to tell you what I said mm. um, but I think it's a really hard one to figure out the last three Ashes series and I'm not I'm not particularly blowing my own trumpet but I felt they were quite easy series to predict and the last but one in Australia I said it would be 4-0 and it was 4-0 the next one I said it would be 2-2 and it was 2-2 and the last Ashes series I said Australia would win uh, by 3-1 and it was 4-0 so you know they to me they felt quite easy to predict this time I'm, I'm actually really struggling I'm a bit stumped um, but what I have come up with well I don't I don't see there being any draws as long as it unless it rains of course you know anything can happen with the weather in England so I've gone yeah England to rattle Australia's cage but Australia to sort of keep their nerves so I've gone England 2 Australia 3 okay. but I mean it could you know Australia could they could run away with it I mean if, if it all goes wrong for England on the other hand you could you could also see a scenario where you know an England team lifted by the crowd you know put Australia under pressure you know they who knows they might they might go one two nil up you know it's, it's that it's that sort of feel but I, my my hunch and it is a very tentative hunch is that Australia will be just a bit too strong. Mm. Well, mine is as well. I'm going to go 
Australia 3-1. 3-1, okay. I'm going to go for one draw. Uh, Obviously, an England win somewhere. Mm. But I just think this this Australia side are arriving at a, a very valuable and you know potent peak and they will just be a little bit too strong and consistent for England over a five match series they're on a mission as well they haven't won the Ashes in England to, since 2001 so I just think that the time it's their time this team I had a chat with the, a brief chat with Pat Cummins this morning actually and I just said you know I love what you do for the game mm. and your overall ambassadorial approach to test cricket. He's actually given a lovely interview uh, tonight, uh, this afternoon, saying how much they, how precious test cricket is to the Australian players, how much they pride themselves on their performance in this format above all others, how much more satisfying it is when you achieve a victory at, at test level. And so I applaud that attitude by all the Australians. They play it with a smile rather than a snarl. As well, well, they do under Pat Cummins now, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And and so I, in a way, you know, good luck to them. I I really like the, the, the cricket they play, and I just think it will be that much too strong for England. I hope not. You know, the heart says one thing, but the head says, yeah, Australia with head in the team might just be too strong. So we'll finish there. We'll we'll do a preview of, of the Ashes series proper on the eve of it. But in the meantime, we'll leave you with the memory of a, a superb. Australian win and five days of excellent weather and a good pitch and an excellent uh, general event put on by the ICC uh, which which all of us enjoyed very much. Just a little mention also of our sister podcast Storylines, the women's cricket show. Another episode of that is out tomorrow. Look out for that presented by Melissa Story and Nikki Chowdhury and we'll be back later in the week to preview the first Ashes Test match which starts on Friday. How many more sleeps is it? Is it five more sleeps? It's far more exciting than Christmas, isn't it? I suppose it depends when you listen to this, really. (laughs) But if you're on Sunday, it's five more sleeps to the Ashes. Well, very very excited about it. Yeah, far more exciting than Christmas and your birthday and Easter and all those sort of things uh, roll into one. But looking forward to it. We'll speak to you later in the week. Yeah, and look out also, by the way, for the Legends of the Ashes podcast series, which, which I wrote and and created, narrated by Stephen Fry. It's out this week on the global podcast platform. I can hear the sirens, yours, they're coming for you. We're going to have to end now. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.